Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Welcome to Talk is Jericho holiday episode. I got a bag full of treats in the form of a fan question and answer question asked by you guys from the Jericho Cruise, uh, which might as well have been 100 years ago. It was only back in January. But of course, to kick it off, we got the one and only, the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Good Jericho. Duff McKagan calling you. Hey, listen, uh, you know what you call a gorilla wearing earmuffs? Well, anything. He can't hear you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. You know what you call a gorilla wearing Christmas earmuffs? Anything. He can't hear you. (laughs) There you go. That's the uh, Christmas version of that joke. (laughs) But Duff's still spreading the holiday cheer with his joke of the week. Merry Christmas to Duff and his family, his lovely wife Susan and his daughters. Hope Santa brought them everything on their lists. Hope Santa was good to all of you as well. And let's keep the holiday festivities going with a special fan question and answer. This is recorded live on the Jericho Cruise this past January, like I said. And if you come out on the Triple Whammy with us next October, you can come to the question and answer in person. It's always a lot of fun. Remember, the Triple Whammy is sold out, but you can get on the wait list. Just go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com. All right, I've got a lot of great questions that cover everything from AEW to WCW to the Festival of Friendship to Fozzie. Comedian and Talk is Jericho alumni Craig Gass served as the host. We're going to let him take it away. But first, since it is Christmas, let's kick it off with my favorite Christmas carol, Father Christmas by Chris Jericho and the Christmas Elves. Crank it up, Christmas Elves!
Just dive in and let's get to your questions. First person, what is your name and where are you from? No pressure. Hello. No, no pressure at all. Everyone's Adam. watching you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hi. What is your Hi. name and where are you from? So my name's Sheree Adams and I am from Tri-Cities, Washington. So Tri-Cities, Washington. Washington. I know it well. Yeah. <laughs> now here's what you got to keep the tradition going. What's the name of the comedy club there? There's two of them. Uh, there was one I worked at. Uh, there was Jokers, which is in a casino. Yeah. And the one that closed down that I used to work at, uh, their bounce, they closed down because the bouncer killed an audience member. <laughs> That's a true story. That is an yeah, absolute is. true is. story. The bouncer killed somebody, and I was like, damn it, I'm out of 800 bucks. So, <laughs> but uh, anyways, what is your question, Sherry? So, so seriously, no pressure here. So mine is, hey, Chris, I'd like to know what gives you the drive to keep going, not only as a wrestler, but as a musician. You're, you've accomplished great things in your career, and I'm curious to know the driving forces behind the accomplishments. That's a good question. Yeah, very good question. Um, thank you. <clears throat> I think uh, it, the old adage is if you uh, love what you do for a living, you never work a day in your life, and that really is the case for me. So, yeah, there's lots of uh, sacrifice that you have to make. Obviously, you have to put a lot of time to do you know, all the stuff that I do, but this is what I love to do. I, I grew up wanting to be in a rock band. I grew up wanting to be a wrestler. And I people sometimes go, if you had to choose between the two, I don't have to choose. I get to do both. So the drive is there, and it's always there, because as much as you accomplish, there's always new paths. Like like this cruise, for example. It took three years to get, the, to get it up and running. And to have the second one and then announcing the third one, I mean, that's not easy to do. And it's constant emails and texts and phone calls but it's worth it because here we all are and it's to see everybody's faces and everyone's having such a great time that's that's the payoff so that's where the drive comes from is knowing that i take great responsibility in knowing i have a huge fan base that it's always waiting for something for me to do something cool for me to do and getting a chance to 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 enjoy that with me so the drive comes from wanting to continue to give you guys cool shit to do. <laughs> and you know what? And to her point, is there anyone in music or in wrestling that still motivates you to this day? Like, I love what I've done. I'm proud of what I've done. 
but I want to keep going. I want to get to where that guy is at. You know the answer to that. It's Paul and Gene. It's Paul Kiss. And Gene. It really is. And, uh, knowing them, obviously, as a fan, then becoming friends, but learning from them as businessmen. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we got the opportunity to do Kiss Cruise 10. That's right. But you better believe next time we do it, I'm going to be watching everything they do. Because they have 10 cruises, and I'm working on my third. So what can I get from them to give to you guys to make it better? So those, those two guys in the, in the KISS organization, most of what I do, there is a blueprint that I follow, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. And I think if, uh, if Gene Simmons was here, he would tell you, if you missed any part of this Q&A, it's available right now for $49.95 at kissonline.com. Click on my cod piece and see Chris's face. All right, whatever. All right. You almost had it. You did really good. <laughs> Question number two. What is Kick your name? Kickaxe. And where are you from? Kickaxe. Great shirt. Thanks. Hi, my name is Kristen Allegreza. Um, I live in Connecticut. Connecticut. And the funny bone. <laughs> I, swear I swear to God. The funny bone. Go ahead. We actually met at City Steam, but that's another story. Oh, um, <laughs> I've done shows so, at City Steam. What is your question? So, okay. So on the last cruise, uh, you and Kenny Omega had a match, and I was on the upper level uh, behind the stage, and below me was your dad, Mick Foley, and DDP were watching. So watching Legends watch you and Kenny was really deep for me. And so how did it feel for you to accomplish putting the first cruise together? Um, once again, that's another great question uh, and great observation, too. It's interesting for me because even all the stuff that I've done, I'm still a fan. You know, um, I had Jake the Snake Roberts last night on the podcast. Uh, and, uh, you know, like, I'm just sitting there like, oh, Jake the Snake, Jake the Snake. Like, I still, like, like watching Kickaxe, I still enjoy uh, being a part of everything. So when you talk about guys watching my work, I never really think that, like, like really, that they're watching my stuff? Like, Mick and DDP were watching my stuff? As far as my dad goes, my dad's been such a great influence in my life completely all across the board. And definitely the nicest guy in the world. Way, way nicer than I am. And uh, l last year he was on the cruise. And um, when we came to kind of do a site survey, all the staff was like, how's your dad doing? How's your dad doing? How's your dad? Like a janitor, a restaurant guy, whatever it was captain so this year i'm like okay everyone loves you i put him under contract and i said just go talk to people <laughs> so he's actually working for me on this cruise <laughs> and that's that's his job but um so yeah i mean I, I appreciate the fact that people enjoy my work but i understand that because i enjoy everybody's work as well like craig said i try and see as many of the shows as i can because everybody here i'm a fan of so I'm watching as many shows as I can, just as people are watching my stuff, too. It's like one of those things. You watch this, then watch that, watch that, watch that. I don't do an impression of Mick Foley. My Mick Foley impression sounds like Al Pacino. But uh, if Mick was here, I think he'd say, boy, look at that guy f go. Who are? All right. So, all right. <laughs> Next up, what is your name and where are you from? Uh, Jay Bellastria. I'm from Woburn, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. The Comedy Connection. <laughs> Man, did that guy stiff me. You're just making shit up now. <laughs> he did, he fuck, I swear to God. And Brian knows. There's a guy that, long story, but yeah. So uh, who came up with the original idea for what ended up becoming the Festival of Friendship? And what was the creative process that led to the final product that was that segment? 
Another guys are asking the great questions. Uh, Festival of Friendship to me is one of my favorite things I've ever done. It, it was such a success. They actually even made an action figure set of it. I've had three action figure sets created from my ideas. The Money in the Bank, uh, the Festival of Friendship, and the uh, Ambrose Asylum match that came with Mitch the Potted Plant. Yeah. Um, Festival of Friendship. So, so Kevin Owens and I started working together. Uh, we had one thing together in London, and it was like for some reason we, we, we weren't a team. We weren't for some reason we were were in the same match or whatever. And at the end of it, I called myself the goat, and and he goes he goes yeah, and I'm the donkey. And uh, I just thought that's that's pretty funny. Like this guy's got a great sense of humor. So I said to Vince, we should do something together because this guy's really he's got the same mindset that I do. So we started, and it's one of those things that was drawn out over six or seven or eight months. Huge success, you know, the best friends and all the stuff that we did together because we definitely had the same mindset. And um, I knew eventually, okay, it has to be a WrestleMania match. We need a big turn. What's it going to be? And I just thought, okay, we're in Vegas, and just the time frame of it, okay, we'll do the turn in Vegas. I'm like, well, we need to do something special and so I came up with the idea of the Festival of Friendship. What is that? Well, I'll, I'll throw a, a festival for myself, uh, and that it's, it's a testament to, to admit to how great friends we are because people expected us to break up every week, but they didn't know for sure. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, we knew you were going to break up at Festival of Friendship. No, you didn't. You didn't know. You didn't know. Trust me. So the idea, what I wanted was a segment that went from a David Lee Roth video to uh, the Red Wedding from Game of Thrones. Nice. Right, and if you watch back, it starts off with the Roth video, the the the, the hat and the wow, wow, wow uh, sparkly jackets, and actually had the fedora that was blinking. And I wanted showgirls, and we'll have uh, we'll uh, we'll have a, a a friendship, the magician, who actually was the terrible magician, but he was there. And then they made the the, the touching of God, you know, the Michelangelo thing with, and I didn't even know that until I got there that day. I was like, this is great. And the one suggestion that Vince had was he wanted a, a, a statue, like an intertwined statue. That he, and that's his only idea. You have to have a statue. There's got to be a statue out there. Like, All right. So uh, the idea being that Kevin gives me a, a gift, and it's the list of KO, and why is my name on this? And what I wanted was just like the Red Wedding. We were like, no, 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 no. Like, if you see a serial killer movie like a Freddy or Jason and if a guy gets his head chopped off and he's not looking, there's no fear. If he opens the door and Jason's standing there and you get that second of like, oh, no. That's what I wanted to impart to the audience. So um, there was a couple suggestions given where they didn't want that because they said it was too much comedy. Triple H said it was too much comedy. I'm like, well, it's not comedy. It's in the delivery. Uh, he didn't like it. And Vince wasn't there. So they were going to change. I'm like, you're changing it. No way, man. Me and Vince already discussed this, and he's like, well, Vince is on a plane. It's like, I got his number. I texted him, and Vince's like, no, you do the way that we discussed. And it went great, because that moment when I pulled the list out, and why is my name on this? And I was like, no, no, no. And then, boom, there comes the, there comes the, the betrayal, which led to me getting powerbombed on the apron, which I'll never do again, because that really, really f***ing hurt. <laughs> so... <laughs> You won't see me do that ever again, but it was just a great segment, and it led to an amazing turn and uh, one of my favorite pieces of work, for sure, from that time frame. Did anyone in your personal life tease you about, am I part of the festival of friendship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right you got that a lot? The only friendship the magician was there. Yeah. He was the one invited.
Next question. Where are we at? Right here. What is your name? Where are you from, sir? Hi, my name's Andrew Carrillo. I'm from Tucson, Arizona. Tucson, Laughs Comedy Club. He's correct. The guy was not is that a nice, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I'll make sure he's not lying. I got banned for life from Laughs Comedy Club three times. True, a true story. A true story. Banned for life three times. So your next two reincarnations, you can't work there. Yeah, it was weird. It was yeah. kind of like, ah, you know what? You're selling tickets. Come back. Ah, get out of here. <laughs> it's, it's a good one. I'll tell it tomorrow night at Spinnaker. Uh, my question is, Chris, as a talented wrestler and musician, you have taken the entertainment industry by storm. If you were given a chance to, to star in a, ho- a major Hollywood production, what kind of movie and character would interest you? There's a guy's name, Frank, Frank Turner or something, whatever my character's name was. Um... <laughs> It's interesting because I'm at the point right now where uh, I'm really interested in doing some more stuff. I was in Jay and Silent Bob reboot, which went really good. It was, yeah, it was awesome. And actually, I've done two movies with Kevin Smith, one that hasn't come out yet. But he's really good at writing roles for me that are different from the norm. Uh, the one that hasn't come out yet, I play like this crazy killer type guy. Uh, and then Jay and Silent Bob, I was the head of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, which is actually pretty funny because we were filming that in New Orleans under like in a big kind of uh, construction area with a big bridge, like an overpass, probably about 500 feet away or, or a little bit longer, maybe a mile away. And we're getting ready to film this scene and it's the KKK. It's me and like literally 15 guys in white things and we're filming and there's a cross that in the movies on fire, but in the in filming, it was just it was just pulsating with uh, orange light. And I'm like, what are people thinking when they're driving by this right now? <laughs> a clan, there's a clans meeting. We, we can either get shot or someone's going to come join us. This, is, this isn't good. Either one's not good. Either one's not good, but I like that. So like, what kind of Hollywood role? Listen, if someone calls me with anything at this point, I thought it was cool, I would do it. But I like stuff that's outside of the box, which you wouldn't really expect Chris Jericho to play. So... My goal or, or dream or, or ultimate role would be something that you don't even know it's me. Like, you don't expect Jericho to be doing this. So that's kind of what I would look for. I'd like to see you in a Tarantino movie. Oh, I'd love that, man. Like, I would love that. Pulp Fiction 2. I kept this championship belt <laughs> in the only place it would fit. In my ass. Next question. <laughs> What's your name? Where are you from? Uh, my name is Craig DeCruz. I'm from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Nice. Calgary. Yeah. I, I did a comedy. I don't know what that bar was. I did a show what's next that, to the buddy? Stampede. Oh, what's the Calgary? What? It was, it was um, the Yuck Yucks. Yuck Yucks. Yeah, yeah Yuck Yucks. And it was near the Stampede. Okay, and yeah. I remember hearing horrible Stampede. stories about Stampede. Well, that's great. What is your question, sir? Uh, my question is, uh, Chris, what's the hardest part about moving away from a sure thing like WWE and moving to an upstart like AEW? Hmm. Um, Great question. Yeah, and like you said, the hardest part is also the reason why I wanted to leave. It is a sure thing. But I know kind of what I would be doing there. Uh, I know where I would kind of fit into the landscape. Like, for example, going back to the Kevin Owens thing, the original idea was for me and Kevin to be in the main event of WrestleMania and for me to win the title. And then Goldberg was working with Brock, and Brock decided he wanted to work with Goldberg, so they put that on last, and then they put us second. And I'm like... A whole year with this amazing angle and you're putting us on second that tells me right there it's time to go because you're not if you're on second it's not good so um when the concept of aw came up it was a big uncertainty at first because 
So many people over the years are going to start their own company, but you need three things to really start a company and really make a go of it. You need money and lots of it, which the Khan family has. You need a TV deal and a good one, which we were able to get on TNT. And most importantly, you need six to eight main event level guys to build the company around. It just so happens that there was six to eight of us whose contracts all basically came up at the same time and also had the mindset of not wanting to do the norm, not wanting to go to WWE and work within their system, which is a very successful system. It's a lot of fun, but it's very regimented. It's very written. AEW is not. It's up to us. So that really made, uh, uh, made it very appealing to me. Uh, Tony Khan's very passionate about the business. He's very smart about the business. He's not a money mark or a pushover. And you can see the fact that we're profitable in three months after just re-signing the, the contract on TV. I mean, that's a big deal. So um, I thought I can really cement my legacy if, if I can go to this new company as the face of it from the, from the, at the beginning and if we can make a go of it and change the wrestling business for the better, give guys more places to work, give fans more option, create more revenue, then suddenly Chris Jericho's thought of it completely differently than I ever was before. So that really appealed to me uh, more than anything was you're taking a risk. But like you mentioned in your earlier question about the drive, the drive to do that and to take a risk and bet on myself was too much to, uh, to resist. And so far it really paid off. It's amazing. And I cannot overstate this enough, how much I admire you for that part of your life. Because as a comedian, uh, friends of mine who are musicians, friends of mine who are wrestlers, you have a dream about something, you pursue your dream, and then, and then once you start getting some traction, you end up in a system. And there are people that control the system, and you might have a feeling of like, you know what, this isn't being done the right way. And the people who control the system say, no, this is, this is how you're going to fit in. And your only choice is to take this massive risk to try to break out and build your own thing. And the fact that you did it and gave people more of what they want because you knew instinctually what they wanted, it's such a thing to applaud as a guy who, like, in comedy, you have a dream and you think, fuck, there's some guys that hold you down and, and um, <laughs> this... I didn't intend for this thing to start shaking like a vibrating bed, right? As I was like, dude, I love that you did that. Oh, my God. Oh, like, well, the thing is, like, uh, I also knew that if I went back to WWE, they would first thing they want me to do is put somebody on the list. And to me, that's ancient history. Like the list seems so far uh, uh, long ago. And it was very popular. People loved the list. They loved the list. Every time was, can you put me on the list? Can you put me on the list? And I'm like. That's great, but to go back there and do it now, it would feel so wrong. It I would feel like a parody of myself, and I didn't want to do that either. And as a result, the little bit of the bubbly came up, and the champion came up, and now we've moved on to the next phase of catchphrases that you guys buy T-shirts of. And uh, once again, that's exciting to me. It's like Kiss taking off the makeup was a huge risk for them, but if they had not done that, they wouldn't be where they are. I feel the same way. I had to do something different or else I would just be another guy. And I don't want to ever be another guy. I want to be someone that, that's on the cusp of doing great things always. And to that point, I have friends of mine who have made it on to Saturday Night Live. And they say that they spend years trying to find a character that will hook in right. with a TV audience. 
and then they spend the rest of their career trying to get away from that yeah, 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 yeah. because that's all they're known for. Right, right. Uh, next person, next question. What is your name and where are you from? Hi, my name's Jenna. I'm from Fall River, Massachusetts. Fall River, down the street from the Comedy Connection in East Providence. <laughs> I've oh. stayed at your comfort inn. <laughs> true story. So my question is, um, if Fozzie could have any guest vocalist on a song, uh, past or present, who would you choose? Well, that's interesting. We've had some great guests on our records in the past, but it's always like who fits the song. It's not stunt casting. So, I mean, we had Miles Kennedy do uh, a song with us called Nameless Faceless. Miles is from Slash's band and Alter Bridge, and he just was so good. And then we had uh, Michael Starr from Steel Panther do a song called Tonight, which was amazing. Uh, if you're talking about singers, I mean, my influences of singers, Bruce Dickinson, uh, uh, Michael Kiske from Halloween, obviously Axl Rose, Ozzy, I, I'd probably, or Paul Stanley, perfect example. I, I'd probably say either Paul or, or Ozzy because their voices are so classic. Ozzy's voice, is, my voice is very similar to his, as a matter of fact. Uh, we actually did a cover of Fairies Wear Boots a few years ago, and I said, I'm going to try and sing exactly like Ozzy. And it's like, you know, going home late last night. <laughs> and it's like, um, so I, I'd go with Ozzy just for the legendary status and the fact that he's got three songs in the top 30 right now yep. at 70 years old. Yep. So maybe we get the rub from him. By the way, I think if uh, Paul Stanley was here right now, he'd say, all right, people, now listen. <laughs> you know, I know this cruise ship, Norwegian Cruise Lines, is known for its buffets. And I can tell you right now, after this show, I see a lot of people in the front row that I really want to eat. <laughs> oh, yeah. I actually heard him say that once in Vegas. It's a great one. He wanted to eat the front row. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, next question. What is your name and where are you from? Uh, my name is Ashley. I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Kalamazoo, Michigan. Dr. Grins. Oh, she's the librarian. Oh, librarian. <laughs> great. oh my God. <laughs> uh, my question is, at what point in your career did you feel like you had finally made it, both wrestling and music? Mm. That, yeah, you guys are really smart today. I appreciate that. Very good questions. Wow. That's, that's, it's, uh, I think for me, it goes in stages. It's like you make it to a certain point, and then you're like, okay, now I want to make it to the next point. And then I remember, I remember the first time I worked a TV match in, in Calgary, uh, it was um, a company was called uh, I think it was called CNWA and it was on TSN, which is like the ESPN of Canada. Yeah. And TSN's to see that, I was like, I can't believe it! Like I've made it. Um, I remember first getting to WCW and walking in the dressing room, and like Sting is there, and Hogan is here, and Flair is there, and just be like, I took like a five second super freak out Mark moment, like. And then it's okay. Now I got to be cool. These are my peers. Now I have to act like it. So that to me was making it. Go, getting to the WWE for the first time was making it. But I don't think I really reached my full potential uh, and really made it uh, until I did the Shawn Michaels angle in 2008. That's where I became. That's where I became Chris Jericho. To where from that point on, I could do no wrong. Like, of course, I do wrong. But in my mind, like I, I knew exactly what to do. So that was a big moment, a big turning point. And once again, taking the makeup off, I went from tights to, to, to long tights to short tights. I got rid of the countdown. I told the announcers, don't ever call me Y2J again. That's done. It's gone. Get rid of all of that. I got to start something completely new, reinvent myself, suit and tie, big words, all that sort of thing. Uh, as far as, as, as Fozzie, 
the first time actually Sin and Bones record came out on vinyl and actually holding yeah. the vinyl copy of Fozzie. And it was actually a fold out with a big picture in the middle and the double disc and the whole deal. That was a big moment. I think just this last fall, we, we played a stadium in Los Angeles with Iron Maiden. Yep. And I was like, I mean, dude, this is pretty, it doesn't get any bigger than this. Like, they invited us to play a stadium, Iron Maiden, backstage. Have a good gig, Bruce. Ah, it was a gig. It's like, f***ing hell. Yeah. I can't believe it. Uh, and then also, too, when Judas went to number five, uh, Judas becoming a hit single, like a legit hit single that they play like in, uh, in hockey games and that sort of thing. That was another one where, like, when you hear your song on the radio, which we've heard before, but when you hear your song on the radio and people are playing it, and like, like I said, the Washington Capitals game the other day, they're playing Judas. Uh, we went to the Vikings game last year. They played Burn Me Out. Like, they don't know I'm there. They're just playing it. That makes you feel like you, you accomplished something. I have a question related to that. There are benchmarks where you go, holy shit, I'm making it. I've, I've succeeded. I'm with my peers or... My album's on the charts. I'm holding the album. There's those benchmarks. But what I think is interesting, people who aren't nice to you, who with success start being nice to you, was there anyone who was a flaming asshole to you that started being nice to you? You know, it's funny because in WCW, and all the guys will tell you this, it was such a volatile atmosphere. Like the other day, we were sitting up here with Bischoff, Hall, DDP, and Booker. All of those guys had their moments where they weren't very cool back in really? that time frame. Yeah. But it For wasn't wow. it wasn't their fault. If they were here they would tell you. Big show. Big show was a dick. Now he's one of my best friends in the business. What and a sweetheart of a guy. Wow. But just being in that atmosphere Bischoff too. Bischoff is such a great guy. He wasn't great then because there was a lot of pressure, a lot of machinations and, and, and underhanded things going on, stabbing in the backs and politics. So it was just a very volatile atmosphere. So all those guys, when they got to WWE, it'd be like, oh, f And then you talk to him. It's like, this guy's actually really cool because this is the real person shining through yeah. because of the atmosphere we're all forced to be in. Oh, that's amazing. Next up, what is your name and where are you from? Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hey. Go Baton Rouge. There's a funny bone in Baton Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> um, my question for Chris is what's something new, surprising or interesting you learned when helping get AEW off the ground wow um, I think all of us are learning uh, on the fly on how to do a weekly television show uh, it's something that if you look on the roster only a few of us had been through it, myself, Cody Dustin, Moxley you know, a weekly TV show is a lot different from having a pay-per-view and then three months later having it you know, all in all out that's great but do it every week and i'm really pleasantly surprised with how well everybody's doing because when you have a time limit on a weekly tv show you know you got to hit those times and i was thinking okay guys are gonna go over or they're gonna miss their cues or it's gonna be too much pressure and everyone's done a really great job of that so i think learning how to run a company none of us have ever done this before i'm not an official evp nor do i want to be but I'm still doing a lot of stuff with the guys and you know, booking all of my own stuff and, and, and coming up with ideas. And we do them like in a month-by-month month way. So it's hard. Like sit down like, well, what am I going to do for the next month? Well, what do you want to do, Chris? It's like uh, before WWE, they would tell you, here's what you're going to do. And you would give maybe suggestions here and there uh, depending on what Vince wanted you to do. But 
this is literally uncharted waters. So I think learning just how to do it out of the ring and all of the corporate stuff involved, it once again, you realize just how much work goes into all these different things. So uh, we're learning and we're learning on the fly, but it's been a lot of fun. Great question. I, I, question. I was curious about that, too. Uh, next question. What is your name? Where are you from? Uh, my name's Mike uh, from Warsaw, Indiana. All right. I have no idea where that is, so I've never performed <laughs> there. All right. No one does. It's about an hour west of Fort Wayne. Okay. So, uh, so I guess my question is, so out of all the kind of outlandish paranormal slash conspiracy theories that get discussed on your podcast, are there one or two that stand out is that you just kind of really stopped and was like, well, hold on, like, and really had to rethink, you thought always this to be true, and they're laying out their case, and you're like, this guy could be on to something. Hold on a second. <laughs> it's interesting to me. You just, you just mentioned Flat Earth. There's a guy who's been on three times named David Weiss, and he's a staunch uh, Flat Earther. Like, there's no debate. And any question you give him, whatever, some of the answers are really stretching, but there's a lot of stuff that he says that makes sense. I'm not a Flat Earther, but listening to him talk, you're like, I could see how people would be. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that. Like I said, like to me, my podcast is a forum for anybody to come on and tell their beliefs. And if you believe it, great. If you don't, great. Some people get so angry at me. Why would you have this flat earther? Well, just don't listen. Why would you have Donald Trump Jr. on? Well, then just don't listen. I, I'm a, I, I am a journalist. I have a journalism degree and I like talking to interesting people, even if I don't uh, agree with what they believe in, but still appreciate the commitment they have to it and, and uh, listen to what they have to say. So. I, I admire you for that uh, because it, it is interesting. There used to be a time when, you know, you're, you'd have somebody in your life would be like, man, you know, the earth is flat. And you'd be like, Jeff, you're drunk, man. You don't know what the and Jeff be like, yeah, you're right. And now they can go on Facebook, and there's like a group of five thousand dipshits who all think the same. Like, like, hey, see, these guys got my back, and like, you know. But I think it's compelling to hear the conversation. I think it it's. It, and, and the other one too that that's very interesting to me. I had a, a guy on talking about JFK assassination, and just th th there's no way, in my opinion, that it went down the way that history tells us Agreed. that it went down. There's no way. It's Agreed. so obvious. But much like, why do you believe it? Well, this, it's in the history book, so it has to be real. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking questions uh, and, and wanting to know more about that sort of stuff. So that's Agreed. why I always have paranormal elements to my show, even on the cruise, Beyond the Darkness. They're, 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 those guys know their stuff. So um, it's another part of Chris Jericho that really appeals to me that I very much am interested in and always have been. Great question, man. Really great question. Uh, next up, what is your name? Where are you from, sir? My name is John Howell. I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska. All right, Lincoln, Nebraska. I don't think I've ever... <laughs> I know there's a lot of meth there, but I, I don't... <laughs> like, I, I have friends who, uh, you know... Not, I'm not saying I'm just my friends. I, I know a lot of f***ed up people. All right, we go ahead. I'm not judging you. <laughs> what comes to mind first when thinking of your favorite and least favorite matches when you were in the WCW? Popping in my head first is Juventud Guerrero. Loved working with Hoovy. Um, and, and Dean Malenko. Those were the two feuds that I had there that I just thought were amazing. I think we had a, the mask match. I think it was in San Francisco with Hooventude, which was great. And then the Malenko-Jericho feud, which was four or five months, whatever it was. 
just it's funny to go back and watch because you forget just how good Dean was. Like that guy was great. Like out of Dean, Chris, and Eddie, I think Dean might have been the best of both worlds. But Chris was very extreme in one way. Eddie was very extreme in another. Dean was right in the middle of all three of them. And I don't think it's mentioned as much, but he might have been the best out of all three of them. Worst matches. There was one match that I had. There was a guy's name was uh, Halloween. Is that Luchador called Halloween? All right. He wore a pumpkin mask. Really? Yeah. Uh, that match was awful, <laughs> awful, 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 awful. Um, but yeah. And then actually, too, the very first match I had uh, talking about doing live TV or even taped TV was with a guy called Mr. JL, who was Jerry Lynn. And the first night I was ever in WCW, they put me with Mr. JL, and you got seven minutes. And I'm like, seven minutes? Like, I was used to doing 45 minutes in Japan. Like, it would take you seven minutes to get in the ring. Like, what am I going to do in seven minutes? And it just didn't go good. The show, the match was kind of the shits. And uh, I remember I came back to the curtain, and Terry Taylor, who was the booker, he was standing there, and he says to me, he goes, jeez. They told me you were f-ing good. Oh, like wow, that was terrible. And I was just like, oh my gosh, felt so bad. And so, um, and I got a talking to from Regal and Benoit. It's like, what's the matter? Come on, you can't do this. You got to be better than that. And I just like so much pressure because it was my first time. I thought, oh, I, I I worked so long to get onto TV and be in the United States and be in WCW. My first night in, I did up. I'm never gonna do the shot again. And so they put me with a guy the next night. His name was The Gambler. I'll never forget. They, he came to the ring like... Uh, Kenny Rogers? <laughs> like Maverick, like Mel Gibson Maverick, like a, like a, like a steamboat gambler from like, you know, the 1930s or whatever. He walked the ring with cards. Like, you know, I got cards. Oh. And uh, we just went out there, and, uh, and I just said, dude, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm doing. This, this is six years in. I've been champion around the world, but you get a little bit of second guessing yourself and you get into your own head you start to lose your confidence and that's the worst thing that can happen because when you lose your confidence you're f-ed. so uh gambler took me through and when we had a, i think it was just a basic match on a saturday night taping five minutes or whatever it was and it was, you know, it was a good match serviceable match i showed my stuff and uh i came through and they like, that's more like it that's more like it so i always thank the gambler uh for helping me at that time frame because if he if he wasn't good and we had another shitty match. I might not be here right now. Wow. That's Thanks, heavy. Gambler. Thank you to the Gambler. Great question. Uh, next up, what is your name and where are you from? I'm Jose from Vancouver, Washington. Vancouver, Washington. Done shows across the water in Portland at Helium. Uh, Helium and uh, there's a shitty guy at a place, uh, Barry's Com or something like Harvey's. Harvey's. Oh, <laughs> that guy's an asshole. All right. You don't have a lot of friends at these comedy clubs, Craig. Comedy club owners uh, are shifty. (laughs) And what is your question, Jose? All right. So is there a particular wrestler or wrestlers that you worked with that you feel should have made it big and didn't? And on the other hand, is there someone that made it far bigger than you feel they should have? (laughs) You're asking, are there any wrestlers right now that shouldn't be as big as they are? What balls you have, sir? What was your last name, Jose? Huevos. <laughs> Who sucks, Chris? Tell us the truth. Terrible question. But what are your thoughts, Chris? Um, it's interesting to, to say, like, who made it further than they should have. And I could never give you an answer for that because, to me, 
I mean, are you talking from a work rate standpoint? Um, you know, that sort of a thing. Maybe some guys weren't good workers. Like, let's say the ultimate warrior, not a great worker, but he had such a connection with the audience. Mm -hmm. So you might sit back and go, that guy never had a great match in his life, although he did with Hogan. But you could say figuratively, he never had a great match in his life. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is that he had the connection with the audience and drew money and became very popular. So anybody that ever made it, they made it for a reason. Maybe you get overpushed, but if you're not good enough, that push won't stick and you're not going to last. So uh, as far as guys that were really good that should have should have been bigger, well, one of them is, 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 is Jake Hager with us in AEW right now. He is, yeah, he's one of the reasons why I recruited him to come because he's very, very good and once again just got slapped with whatever brush Vince didn't see in him anymore and, and never really gave him his due so I'm really looking forward to having him expand his role in AEW and, and become bigger bigger because he's very talented. That's really the other guys that should have made it bigger. There's a guy in AEW right now that we're just starting to, to debut called Dr. Luther that I worked with years ago from Canada. Just like kickaxe, just never got the shot, never got the rub, never had the chance. So we're giving him a chance in, in AEW because I, I believe he can do something for us because I know how talented he is. So sometimes there's guys that just don't, really connect or don't get the opportunities that they deserve from their raw talent a guy like uh, a, a guy like ultimo dragon i think could have been bigger in the states uh one of the best one of the best workers i was ever in the ring with a great gimmick very marketable i think the only problem with dragon is that he was in the business at the same time that mysterio came in and you know there's only one masked guy that's how companies look at it and it's hard to be a masked guy when you're in a company with the greatest masked man of all time who's at the peak of his physical abilities. So um, there's a, a guy called Negro Casas in Mexico who is like the Ric Flair of Mexico. He's a genius. He's one of the best I've ever been in the ring with. Obviously, people don't know him in this country because he never came to the States. But you find different guys in, in different pockets around the world. Uh, I just worked with Tanahashi at the Tokyo Dome a couple weeks ago. Yeah, thank you. I have to say I really admire your finesse in answering that question and, and answering that question thoughtfully because what a bombshell of a question. It yeah, almost but, makes me wish I had somebody more insensitive sitting here like <laughs> Iron Sheik. Like, yeah. like, who yeah. do you think shouldn't have made it? I, I Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I f*** you in the ass. Like, what a finishing move. Like, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> we got five questions left in, oh, about, sorry. in about ten oh, minutes. Oh, it's because I talked about people in the ass <laughs> what's up uh name's mauer jake mauer from uh Umitula, oregon but currently stationed at uh Holman air force base oh right on thank you for your service jake you're a man of many faces a rock star an actor a pro wrestler extraordinaire and most of all a family man how do you keep each persona in check how do you divide your time between rehearsals gym slash training and being with family and more importantly do you still think bride adams is okay what? Do you still think Brian Adams is okay? <laughs> Brian Adams? <laughs> I'll tell the story in a second. Um, <laughs> uh, that's, that's another great question. The balance is that when I'm home, I try and do everything I can with my family, with my wife and my kids. Um, sometimes the work bleeds over to that time as well. But I think it's the priorities and it's the way that it should be. So, um, you know, I'm up early. 
I go to bed late with them, whatever they need done, and try and do the best I can to to just be dad. You know what I mean? That's why it's cool to have my family on this cruise ship because they actually go, oh, this guy's actually pretty cool. He does stuff. But I think that's you have to put that first and foremost. And if you have a good family life, then good things will happen. So that to me has become very important over the years, even more so now than it ever has. And also, too, I'm also running Chris Jericho Industries. So there's a lot of stuff that has to be done because I have good people working with me, not for me, with me. Nobody works for me. They work with me. And we're a team. And whether it's my partner for the cruise or uh, manager of Fozzie or working with Rich and Fozzie or working with the AEW guys or with Tony Khan or all those people, I don't try and do everything because I can't. I don't know how to do stuff. I focus on what I do best and then work with people who can pick up the slack and help me. Like the cruise, if I put 1,000 hours in it, Six Man and Mark Willis, my partner, put 2,000 hours in it. And that's the way it has to be because I don't know any of this stuff. All I have is an idea and to do the creative side. So I think all of those things, um, you have to focus on that and know when to delegate responsibility and what the priorities are of what you're trying to accomplish. The Brian Adams story is when I was uh, about 14 years old. I went to, there used to be like a, um, a career symposium where you'd go and, and they would have all these people saying, if you want to become a pharmacist, here's what you have to do. So like you go, oh, maybe what is what? And they had the City Vision was the video show, okay. the big rock and roll video show. And the guy, uh, the guy uh, Terry Klassen was the host. And we were all standing around. Because when you're a kid, to be on TV is a big deal. Of course. So everyone's fighting to the front to try and be on City Vision with Terry Klassen. And, and they said, come up next. we got Brian Adams. Do you like Brian Adams? And he goes, what's your name? I go, like a teenager, just an ass. What's your name? Chris. Do you like a Brian? Brooding, a-, a brooding teenager? Yeah. Do you like Brian Adams? He's okay. But here's why I went wrong. In 1984, if you're a heavy metal guy, you can't like Brian Adams. Oh. It's a sin. So the fact that I said Brian Adams was okay got me many beatings from the heavy metal bullies. You like Brian Adams, huh? No, I was just saying it because I was on TV. Bullshit. He sucks. Pussy. So, yeah. He's okay. Did you ever tell Brian Adams that story? I've never met him, but never I will. Oh, that is a great story. <laughs> All right, next question. What is your name? Where are you from? Uh, Josh McGee from Louisville, Kentucky. All right, Louisville, the comedy caravan. <laughs> That's a little awkward because you said you uh, don't have to answer this question, but if you woke up tomorrow and had to choose between wrestler, musician, or another career path, what would you choose and why? Well, like I said, the, the cool thing about it is, is that um, I never have to choose it because I, I get to do both and work very hard to do both. And that's, to me, like all of this other stuff is such a bonus because, like, once I made it in wrestling, and then once Fozzie made it, now you're unstoppable because you had these two dreams that are both so seemingly impossible to do, but I did it. So once you get that, once again, confidence is the word. Once you get that confidence of like, okay, so the wrestling thing did it. Rock and roll did it. What should I try next? And I'm probably going to make it work because you have that confidence. Let's do a cruise. How do we do that? I don't know. That's once again, that's not my responsibility. That's yours. Find out, (laughs) call Cruises R Us and find out how you get a cruise going. (laughs) I don't know what to do. You know, I just, yeah, I just spoke the shit. The other day I saw Paul Stanley sells Puma uh, shoes, but now he's got a whole sweatsuits and and shirts and jackets. I'm like, I need a clothing line. Mm -hmm. So I, 
Paul Stanley's doing it. I want to do it. I'll call, I'll call it Painmaker, Painmaker brand clothes, right? And uh, I called my manager, said, I need to get a clothing line. He's like, okay. I said, so find me a place to get a clothing line. That's your job this week. Came back, yeah, Championship Sports is interested in a clothing line. There you go. That's how you make it happen. So just come up with ideas, work with good people that can help you figure it out, and just do it. Wow. That's amazing. Amazing and inspiring. Very inspiring. Next question. What is your name? Where are you from? I'm Tim from Telmuck, Oregon. Uh, right. Not only are you one of the best at reinvention, you're not only reinventing Chris Jericho, but you also end up with a new finisher as well. What's the mindset going into that kind of change slash reinvention? David Bowie is another huge influence of mine because he always, always reinvented himself. Every record was different from the last. The Beatles too, but the Beatles had such a, a, a short career. They were great at it as well. But Bowie, you're talking 40 years and he's Ziggy Stardust and he's Aladdin Sane. He's a Thin White Duke and he's Tin Machine and he's black star and like all of this stuff where it always made it exciting it wasn't the same he didn't look the same he didn't sound the same but he still sounded like like david bowie so i always early on like the theme of this that you're hearing from the last hours i don't like doing the same stuff when it starts feeling like it's getting stale i want to take a left turn and reinvent and keep it good because it keeps me uh creatively stimulated and it keeps fans the fan base interested in what i'm doing so it's very important and a lot it's a risk sometimes you're, you're taking all of these like hit songs shall we say and putting them aside and trying to create new stuff um but if you can do it and it works then just like the like pain maker the pain maker for example i was in japan i worked kenny omega at the tokyo dome and i was wearing the list guy costume light up jacket and this but the vibe i had was more mean like i want like i, I was more like i want to f beat the shit out of this guy like just had a different mindset so the next time i had a mattress i can't go back with a light-up jacket and scarf it just doesn't fit I, I like what if they're like i feel like like a like a killer like a serial killer what would a serial killer like if a, if a serial killer was a wrestler what would he look like you know and maybe there's a there's a hat there like a jack the ripper type thing and maybe i'll put some paint on i don't know why but i'll put some paint there and i'll put some paint there Kind of looks like Alice Cooper. What if I put some here? Let me put some makeup or some lipstick on, but I'll smear it at the bottom. That looks like a serial killer, like some, some guy from a movie. You know what I mean? And I walk out of the dressing room, and I'm just waiting for someone to laugh or someone to go, what are you doing? But I walked out, and, and nobody said a word. It's Japan. It's just another weird American guy. And, uh, and lo and behold, it worked. There's the pain maker, created this whole new persona wow. that I can now go to at certain times, like when I worked Darby Allen, he wears paint. It's a street fight. Well, I'll be the pain maker. I'll bust him out from time to time when it feels right. And that's the reinvention. Are there any finishing moves that you've come up with that just never got off the ground? It just didn't translate? There's been a few, but um, like you talk about the Judas effect, I've been doing a lot of MMA training just for a workout, not to fight anybody, but the spinning elbow. Everybody would know. Like, no one really knows what it feels like to take a suplex from the top rope or a body slam. But everyone knows what it's like to get punched in the face mm -hmm. or an elbow in the face. Like, you know, that's going to hurt. That's going to knock somebody out. So it's very easy to do. I can do it to anybody, and it's believable. Not finishing moves per se. There's been a couple moves that didn't work, but catchphrases were, okay. were some. Like the, 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 the two that I thought were going to be massive that just bombed. One was razzle-dazzle. <laughs> I thought razzle-dazzle. Make shirts and sell razzle-dazzle dolls and, like, bombed. Nobody cared. Nobody gave a shit. 
And the other one was going to be like, get it, got it, good, except for the crowd chants it with me. Get it? Got it. Good. Get it? Good. See? Uh, I just could never figure out how to do that. So maybe I'll, next time I ever say it, if you guys are there, please repeat after me. If there's any wrestlers here in the crowd tonight, I have an idea for a finishing move called the Dutch Oven. I think it'd be hilarious. <laughs> you got the Dutch Oven! Like, oh, you asshole. All right. Next up, what is your name and where are you from? We're down to the last two. Yeah, I'm Adam from El Paso, Texas. El Paso, the comic strip. Got it. And Grandy's. Oh, I love those rolls. Oh, yeah, cinnamon. I could Chico's tacos. Yeah. Yeah, that could be deadly. That could be the Dutch Oven beginning, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So uh, when wrestling and training, you can come across instances where risk of injury can really escalate. Stiff workers, overeager workers, inexperienced workers. What are two, one or two of the best ways you would use to protect yourself? Protect myself. When training or working. Um, well, once again, wrestling is a lot of trust. So you have to trust the guy that you're with. Um, if you don't, you really have to be careful with, with the moves that you're going to take. Um, thankfully, at this point in time, 95% of the guys that you work with in the WWE or AEW are complete pros. Uh, that's why they're there. So you really don't have to worry. Some guys can be reckless. Like Brock Lesnar, I feel he's a little bit reckless with his German suplexes. He'll throw somebody on their head. I know the remedy to that. You just bend over like this and just dead ass them. Don't jump. Don't do anything. And that way you're always going to land on your back. But you got to know that. Most guys will just take it. You see, the, you see them land on their head constantly. So you just have to be careful in knowing your opponent and if there's something that doesn't feel right it feels it's not going to work or a little dangerous then don't even try you know it's not worth it there's i, I actually and will osprey will tell us i called him about a year ago because he was just taking these bumps landing on his head and somebody was like oh he's going to be the next dynamite kid and i called him i said they're saying you're going to be the next dynamite kid is that what you want you know i want you to be the next chris jericho and wrestle at the highest of levels until you're 49 or you know beyond and i said there's no bump that you can take that's either going to get you completely over or kill your career if it's dangerous don't do it no one's going to notice they're not going to see it stop taking these chances on these bumps that don't mean anything and don't matter so that's my biggest advice to, to some of the guys that are still learning don't take a chance when it's not worth it don't land on take it. Don't, don't land on your head. Don't. It's not your head is not to be landed on. It's uh, yeah. So that type of advice I give, um, and thankfully I don't have to worry about uh, about guys that are, are careless because everybody is a is a pro and um, and are there for that reason. Great question, man. That was a great question. Our final question: What is your name? Where are you from, sir? My name is Theodore. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn. Pips. Comedy club in Brooklyn. Great place. What is uh, your question? Are you, are you friends with that comedy owner? Yeah, that guy is actually pretty cool. Okay. What's your question? Uh, Fozzie being my most listened to artist on Spotify for the past two years. Nice. Thank you. Uh, my question is, what are the greatest musical influences behind the music? Behind our music? I, I always say, uh, when people say, what does Fozzie sound like? I always say, if... Um, if ACDC and Journey had a bastard child <laughs> that was raised by Metallica, <laughs> you would have an idea of what Fozzie is. We're heavy, a lot of harmonies, a lot of melodies, a lot of hooks. So um, it's interesting because I'm obviously a huge metal guy, but I also, the Beatles are my favorite band. I love mm -hmm. the Stones. 
I've been trying to get a saxophone solo on a Fozzie record for years. I keep getting outvoted. I'm like, brown sugar, dude. Come on, man. Um, but Rich, my, my partner, and he writes he writes the songs with Johnny Andrews, our producer. Rich is a big 70s guy. Sticks, Foreigner. He loves Michael Jackson. He loves funk and cool in the gang and um, you know, the, the yacht rock player and, and, you know, baby, come back, like that sort of stuff. And uh, you can always hear there's, there's a real groove to, to Fozzie and a real groove to Rich Ward's playing that comes from that funk element. He's a big new wave guy. You guys are going to love the cover set that we do tonight. We've got a lot of cool stuff uh, in that vein. But I think that's one of the reasons why our band appeals and is starting to grow because it does have a little bit different vibe than what's going on right now. And we also very much believe in having a great time on stage. We want to be Van Halen from 1979 where we don't have pyro and we don't have spiders coming down from the ceiling or big dragons or whatever. We are the show, and you are the show. That's why a Fozzie show is very interactive. There's a lot of participation. If you guys were there the other day, singing along with us, chanting the names, all that sort of stuff, we expect that and we evoke it because that means people are having a good time. So all of those influence our performances, and musically, uh, we, there's, there's a fun to it as well. So I think it has put us in a different category than the norm of what's going on right now, which is why we've been able to grow because if you're not doing something different, you'll never really get to the next stage. You have to do something unique and original. And I think we've figured that over the, over the next uh, last couple albums. That was a great question. And again, I've done, uh, I think over a half dozen cruises. Now this cruise has the best energy. It's so interactive. Everybody has so much fun and it's so playful. I will always remember <laughs> Leaving that or the or that boat behind us that was taken off while the match was going on, and everybody chanting, "Fuck that ship, Fuck that ship," and the people on that boat just going by, going, "Like, oh, that was the best." And you really have put together something that, when everybody comes together, it becomes uh, you know the sum is bigger than the parts. It's 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 been an amazing trip. Thank you for coming in and hanging out and taking questions. Thank you for helping to put together what has been an amazing vacation. And one more time, let's hear it for Chris Jericho, everybody.